The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we have returning to us my friend from up Canada way, the ADHD man, the man who named his company Don't Diss My Ability, Sean Smith. Sean, welcome back. Thanks, Haki. Thanks for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself properly to the audience? With me, it's just I'm just seeing an old friend who's been a champion of ADHD. We have a good time all the time. And... Uh, you know, you're an AD, you're a football player, you got diagnosed in adulthood, and I remember how tough you had it in your youth, but why don't you introduce yourself properly? Sure. I'm Sean Smith. I'm the founder of Don't Diss My Ability. I am a counselor and psychotherapist by trade. I'm also a consultant and, and a guest lecturer. Um, but what I, what I do isn't nearly as exciting as how I got there, I like to say. Uh, I was diagnosed with ADHD and attentive type at the age of 30. Uh, prior to my diagnosis, it took me four years to finish three years of high school, 32 attempts during 18 credits required to graduate, including failing grade 10 math four times. I got snuck into college to play football. I uh, started playing football my first year of grade 12. By my second year, I was an all-star. Got recruiting packages from every major Canadian university with a football team. Uh, huge high and then a huge low because I didn't have the grades to attend any of these schools, but a, a college snuck me in. A prep school brought my grades up enough to attend university. Um, managed to graduate undiagnosed with a 2.3 GPA and then fast forward to being 30, having a ton of life experience in between and, uh, being prescribed Ritalin, uh, which basically took my thought process from, uh, dial up to high speed. Um, the pieces of the puzzle that were my life that never seemed to fit all of a sudden came together with relative ease. And I realized that I, I wasn't dumb. I was actually quite smart. I went back to upgrade as a mature student, taking five courses, new GPA of 3.7, and then in 2010, I got into a master's of education in counseling psych psychology program on academic probation and graduated a year later at the top of my class. So a very unique lens through which to help people. And what I love the best about the story is then you became a self-advocate. You used all of your skill sets to help others. Tell us about your company. Sure. So my, my company was uh, created kind of out of a a necessity. I was about to get laid off from a, a disability-related nonprofit I was working for, and I saw kind of a, a niche to help people with uh, a hidden tax credit in Canada for people with disabilities. And so I kind of brokered a deal to do some consulting for them and uh, help people access this this hidden tax credit. Um, you know, in in the states you have IRS, in in Canada we have the CRA. Um, and there are two things that are certain in this life, uh, Haki, I'm sure you're well aware that they are death and taxes. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, Canada Revenue kept changing the rules of the game and making it harder and harder for people to access this, which meant uh, for me, I only charged a fee if I was able to help the person get a return. So as it turned out, I ended up volunteering more of my time than actually earning money. So I had to pivot and switch gears and haphazardly fell into counseling and psychotherapy, which I mean, it was my education, a lot of my experience, um, but someone took a, a chance on me and hired me as a, a counselor for a community they were working in where they were looking for someone new to provide services for uh, parents of kids with ADHD and individuals with ADHD. And just uh, within you know, a couple of sessions kind of hit my groove and I knew that this was gonna be what, what I was gonna be doing, part of, a big part of what I was gonna be doing for sure. 
You know, something you and I have in common is that we're interested in tools, tools that can help. Like when I wrote the Asper Tools book about Asperger's and autism, mm -hmm. tell us some of the tools that you found helpful for ADHD. Well, I'll start off by saying, Hacky, any tool is only as good as the person who uses it, right? So I, I think part of the challenge that a lot of us have is that we're, we're looking for that holy grail, that that one thing that's going to make everything better. And, and I just, you know, to calm, calm people's nerves, it, it's not out there, it doesn't exist yet. Um, it really is about trying different things and, and sharing those amongst each other. But it, I'm, I'm an Apple person. Uh, I rely on Apple products to keep me organized. Um, you know, I, I've got... My, my calendar, uh, iCal, which is color-coded for different uh, types of work that I do, which also helps me with invoicing. So stuff that's in Don't Disc My Ability is in black. Um, you know, stuff I do with the University of Connecticut is in uh, Yukon Blue. Um, you know, just setting it up that way. But I also, that transfers into my personal life where, um, you know, the calendar, parts of the calendar are shared with my wife. So for personal, red is Sean, my wife is purple, anything family-related is in green. Um, and so whenever one of us puts something into the calendar, it automatically pops up. So the other one sees it. So that is one of the, the biggest tools that I use definitely is iCal and color coding my calendars. Another that I started using, um, probably about a year ago is the notes section in my iPhone as well, where I create a daily to-do list. And so there are some things that, um, are on there that are, are really quite basic things, but, you know, again, with the psychology of lists, if we only put the big things on there. And, and we're not really able to chip it away at them, then we kind of feel like we wasted our time and our day. So I, I have everything from um, brush my teeth, shower, get dressed, um, eat breakfast, take my enzymes, empty the dishwasher, refill the dishwasher, um, you know, you, you name it. Because if I don't put that stuff on there, the day will get away from me and, and I'll forget. So again, just kind of bringing things back to basic to make a really simple to-do list for your daily tasks that you need to get done. Um, and then you can kind of add on to that the other things that you might need to do that maybe are, are work related or a little bit heavier. Those are the two big things for me, definitely. That's great. Um, tell us a bit about your role at UConn and with their Include program, which is excellent. Yeah, I was, I mean, I just got goosebumps and I have to throw a, a shout out and a thank you to my, my friend, uh, Dr. Jamie uh, Barr, who, um, you know, contacted me. We're old high school friends. We played hockey growing up. Uh, we went our separate ways. He became a doctor and got his PhD in engineering. And, and uh, you know, similar to you, found some of the stuff that I was posting on YouTube and Facebook. And he, he, he got in touch with me and said, Sean, you're doing some really interesting stuff. I, I may have some, uh, some folks who are interested in what you're doing. And so I, I'm a, a guest lecturer. Um, and, and because of COVID, things were a little bit wonky this year. So I wasn't able to get down there in person. So we did uh, 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 two discussion series, uh, a fall and a spring discussion series on neurodiversity with different topics. Um, I also consult. Um, so I'll, I'll look at some of the materials, some of the things that they're doing, uh, provide some feedback. And I'm also on the advisory board, which is uh, also, also very exciting because it, it really is innovative work. I mean, I don't know of any other type of program going on right now in any type of post-secondary institution where they're actively recruiting neurodiverse students for their classes, but also, you know, allowing the students to come up, you know, giving them the freedom to, um, you know, pitch an idea to a prof 
that can show that they understand the, the content, but giving them creative access to, to show that in a way that, you know, allows them to, you know, not only follow their passion, but really put a, a, a piece of themselves into what they're doing. And I mean, you and I both know this, this is the way the world's going. Um, so it's, it's neat to be part of an innovative project that's kind of at the, the forefront of all this. Well, that whole program is excellent. And thank you for introducing us to it as well. But it just goes along with the way your brain has become wired, that you're thinking in terms of solutions, you're thinking in terms of yeah, everybody's got a different brain. So you this is a tool you use. It doesn't mean, again, that you're dumb or you're stupid or anything. It means your brain works a little bit differently. I like the name of Temple Grandin's book, Different, Not Less. Which is oh, a, you know. Absolutely. I would say that I've even taken a step further, Hacky, that like when I, when I can identify what someone's gift is, then I, I will try to tap into my network to figure out who do I know that can really assess their competency level in this area. And uh, it, it's been it's been awesome. Like right now I'm brokering a book deal with a client, uh, with a publishing company. I have another young man who, um, you know, was out of high school for a couple of years. And, and I know I'm going to say this wrong, but taught himself how to use cybersecurity. Um, you know, he, he got back into high school and managed to graduate, uh, got into college, but I had him meet with a, a, a friend of mine who has his PhD in computer science. And after an hour long meeting, he said, by the time this kid's 20, he was 18 at the time. He said, he'll, he'll be making 250 K a year. Um, you know, and, and he wasn't, you know, this is just, just being blunt and honest, like this, this, this kid is beyond what he's going to learn in college. Um, it's just phenomenal. So, you know, kind of taking, uh, low risk, high reward chances on people just to figure out, you know, how far we can take things. It's, it, it's pretty neat. I got another, uh, another guy I'm working with a young man in elementary school who, um, has an interest in ventriloquism. And so I, I have him working with uh, uh, guy Adam Seitz, who uh, I'll introduce you to, another ADHDer who's been on the Chris Rock show, the Dave Chappelle show, uh, Dora the Explorer, Go Diego Go. Um, he's just, he's done all this voiceover work on all these different uh, games and cartoons. And so I have them working together every other week. Um, you know, it, nobody really asks a lot of these kids, you know, what are you good at? What do you want to do? You know, when we ask typically, it's, you know, do you want to, do you know what you want to do when you grow up? Well, Jesus, Hacky, I think we're still trying to figure it out. How do we expect these kids to know, <laughs> right? It's just, let, let's, let's just try something. Let's see if it sticks, see if it doesn't, if it doesn't. Well, we'll it's we'll one of society's big problems that we don't expose the kids to different things. It's like one size fits all. And then you're now, if you're lucky, like I was, I knew when I was 12 years old, I was writing to the AMA from my parents' gas station that I wanted to be a doctor because we had a great doctor, but I was just lucky like that, that I had a calling, so to speak. Um, what our interns here are 18 plus year old interns who are all neurodivergent in different ways. Um, they get exposed to working behind the camera, in front of a camera, video editing, audio editing, writing articles. Uh, three of them are writing books about what they're self-advocating about. Uh, mm -hmm. One's ADHD, one's OCD, one's tuberous sclerosis, and on and on the list goes on because there are just uh, never-ending variations. I'm on a bit of a campaign myself, Sean, 
to, uh, to kind of move away from the trying to make everything a diagnosis with just going with traits like ADHD traits, OCD traits, autism traits, and matching up the tools to the individual traits where it's good. For instance, OCD should be obsessive compulsive difference because on the one hand, at the one extreme, it's a disorder which is severely debilitating to some people. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you and I know, and if just take, for example, any sport, no one's ever been a champion at anything without some OCD traits. <laughs> you have to have them, you know? Uh, you absolutely. Can't get away without them. And uh, I'm finding ADHD, which uh, I've not been officially diagnosed, but I'm finding more and more, and the more I learned in the way I see how I'm all over the map, uh, that I certainly have ADH traits for sure, you know, and what do I do about them? Well, I learn from people like yourself, some of the tools to use and adapt them, you know. I, I think that's the, that's one of the biggest things is, you know, is, is the adaptability that we, that we have. And for people to know, you know, when they are looking for that one system and it doesn't seem to work, like, it, it's not necessarily for us to adopt something. I think one of the, the gifts that we have is that we can look at something and, and see why it doesn't work, but then also see what, what little tweaks we could make to make it work for us. Um, you know, and something else that I, I've kind of come up with recently that may, may also help you, Hacky, I, I've kind of figured out through my work that we kind of have three ages. We have our physical age, we have our emotional age and we have our intellectual age. And so where we kind of miss the boat is that we talk to people at their physical age, which is just the age that they are, when really, I, I think the, the secret of my success in working with my clients is being able to connect with them at their emotional age and, and figuring out where they're at there. Um, because somebody may be physically 18, but emotionally, they could be significantly younger or significantly older. And so, you know, significantly younger, we might refer to them as somebody who might be a little more immature. For somebody who's emotionally, uh, significantly emotionally older, we would say they're an old soul, right? So kind of tapping into that area has really been helpful for me in working with uh, my neurodivergent clients. That's very, very insightful, very insightful. And, uh, and, and I might mention to our audience um, what a great ally you've been for so many different organizations for so many self-advocates, how you've helped us at different brains in many ways with uh, the networking and your support. And I just want to thank you publicly for that. That's not taken for granted. And we really appreciate it. Oh, I, you know, I, I think that's part of, uh, you know, my, my, my ADHD is that when, when I see something or someone that I can connect together that, that, that is going to add value, I can't not do that. So it, it's, um, it's just kind of an, an intrinsic thing that, you know, when a little spark goes off, uh, you know, it's hard not to look and go that direction. <laughs> so it, it, all, it also helps me. And I mean, I really, uh, I enjoy being a resourceful person and, and get really getting to connect, uh, you know, some, some interesting people together to see what, what they can create and come up with. Now, would you like to, uh, just for our audience, for those out there who may think they might have some ADHD and they're not sure, they're not sure about getting assessed, they might be any age, what's your advice to them? 
Well, the, the first thing that I, I tell people when they disclose that they have ADHD or they think they have ADHD is welcome to the world of the uniquely gifted. Um, this isn't what's wrong with you. This is what's right about you. And so when, when people are on the fence about uh, getting assessed, um, you know, I, I encourage a lot of people to, to get assessed. You know, you're going to learn a lot about your thought process. Um, you're going to learn about, a lot about your strengths and some challenges. Um, but I, I find that the biggest barrier really is, is trying to get that actual assessment. Uh, I don't know what the process is like in, in the States, but in Canada, there's a few different ways to go about it. One is to meet with a psychiatrist. Uh, which is three, free through our public uh, health system, although you're going to wait a while. Uh, you can hire a private psychologist, uh, which will usually cost between $1,500 and $2,500, um, which is, is, again, is not cheap. So for people who are on social assistance, it, it makes it that much harder. Uh, one of the things that really burns me is that when I see kids with uh, personalized learning plans uh, and their, their you know, coursework has been modified, but they don't have an assessment to back that up, uh, that's one of the things that I find extremely uh, um, discouraging and, and frustrating. Um, but really, you know, I, I think the hardest part is trying to get people access to the services that they need in order to get that that diagnosis so they can have that, uh, you know, that that bit of insight about, you know, whether or not they actually do have it. If, if they suspect, then I would say they likely do. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, I, I think... For a lot of people, it really is the, the aha moment that helps provide a little clarity and, and validates a lot of their feelings and thoughts that they've had. Tell us from your point of view, something where our research pillar, which we've now started doing research here at Different Brains, uh, I kind of stay out of their way. We have our, our director <laughs> of research on a volunteer basis who's wonderful as Dr. Marsha Ratner of Boston University. Uh, I wanted to get your opinion because what uh, they've chosen to do is um, the effect of the coronavirus times, the pandemic, on those with ADHD. And I wanted to get your experience and your take on that. Uh, well, it, it's been um, it's it's been a challenge. I mean, it it's it's been a, a challenge for everybody. You know, I, I think one of the, the things that people have said around here is, you know, we're waiting for the second wave of COVID-19 to come. My big thing is, you know, I think we're still waiting for our mental health pandemic to come. I think we're still waiting for the first wave of that to come out. Um, that, that hasn't happened. A lot of people have been really living and suffering in, in silence. Um, for, for me personally, I had a you know, uh, I'll call it a, a bit of a, a meltdown. Um, my dog passed away. He was 13. Um, you know, it's just, there's just all, all this stuff happened around the same time. And uh, I think there were a lot of us who really kind of suffered in, in silence and, and didn't really have a, a huge support network of people we could talk to. And I think with a lot of the political turmoil in the States and, and things that have happened, it, it's, it's made it hard to, you know, communicate and find the right people to, to share with and, and feel like you could, um, because there is just- Particularly in our polarized society, is it- Absolutely, uh, absolutely. You know, with, um, you know, certain certain things that are happening, sometimes it doesn't feel right to say something. And so, you know, not, not that 
it, it doesn't need to be said, but I think, you know, we need to be mindful of the times and what's happening in, in other areas with, with other groups and be respectful and mindful. And it's just, there's just so much going on in so many different levels that um, it, it has been extremely challenging, but I think part of, you know, having ADHD and being neurodivergent is that resilience piece uh, that, that makes us stronger. So, you know, and I think that's a, a huge difference between a lot of us and let's say neuro, neurotypical people is that, you know, I think a lot of the neurotypical may, may plateau in their personal growth um, at, at a certain point and, and not that they won't, um, it won't increase or expand, it will, but not to the rate we do where we have these aha moments and it's like this moment of clarity and it's just like all of a sudden the last six months or the last year or two years or whatever it may be, all of a sudden come together in, in one thought. Um, you know, we, we have those and then we just, we experience a little more self-growth and then it, but it just, it keeps happening, right? All the self-reflection, I think in some ways has been good. In other ways, I think that I've, I've really found the depths of Netflix. I don't think I can, I don't think there's anything on there that I haven't tried to watch yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, tell me, uh, Sean, what are your goals for the rest of the year? Uh, you know, I think a lot of that is going to be travel related. Uh, one of my goals is to get my second dose of the, the vaccine. That'll, that'll be great. Um, but, you know, I, I'm as horrible as this has been for a lot of businesses. I've actually done pretty well. I, I got busier. I, I was able to get more work. Um, so, you know, one of my goals that I'm actually going to be able to do hacky for the first time since I started my company six or seven years ago I'm actually going to take uh, a week of paid vacation where wow. I, I, I don't, I don't have to work um, because before I just, you know, money was sporadic, work was sporadic. And um, so I've done well enough this year that I can actually take uh, a week off and, and like pay myself for it and not have to worry about seeing this client then, or, you know, answering an email at this time. I, I don't know how to set up my automatic email, but somebody's going to help me with that. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah. So that's one of my big goals is, is to kind of be more present with, with my family. Um, I think, you know, with the ADHD part and, and being an entrepreneur, it's, it's easy to justify things as work uh, sometimes a little too easy. So for me, my, my goal really is to kind of be able to take a step back and spend more meaningful time with my family and, and, and be more present in what I do. Well, that's great. Your priorities are much appreciated. Uh, something that in this era of where nothing has an end, you know, it used to be like my folks, may they rest in peace, they worked really hard at the family gas station and what they did. But yeah. let me tell you, when, when my father got out of work at, uh, you know, 7.30 or whatever time it was, it was Miller time. You were done with work. And it didn't start again until yeah. 6.30 the next day. Nowadays, your work and my work never ends. No one's work does because emails, phone calls, cell phones. When I used to play stickball with my buddies from Jersey City, three hours without interruption, pretending you're Mickey Mantle and the Yankees and just getting a breather. If you miss the Ed Sullivan show at 8 o'clock on a Sunday, tough yeah. you didn't get to see it you know yeah. now you can binge watch you can this you can that and i think that's taking a toll on people too and then the coronavirus times put it on steroids where you have to have the discipline to say what you just said 
I'm taking a week off and I'm not going to look at my emails and God bless you. I don't know that I could not look at my emails for a week. Well, you know, to, to go back to the, the strategies, Hacky, this, this is one of the things that I, I've started doing on a Friday. Uh, I have a note set in my calendar at 5 p.m. that says turn email notifications off. And so I turn them off for the weekend. And then I have another note in my calendar Monday morning at nine o'clock, turn on email notifications. So because I would get emails on the weekend and I would read and I'd be like, oh, why did I read that? And then it would sandbag my weekend, right? I mean, I, I could be doing something. I could be out with my wife, having a date or, or playing with my son or going for a bike ride or whatever. And then I see that email I'm like, oh, and it just, it, it sets us back. And I think, you know, the, the whole concept of masking is something that's kind of come to the, to the forefront. And, and I think for a lot of us, we're just so used to masking that stuff and pretending like we're present when we're not, our mind is somewhere else um, because we are easily distracted in, into a million different things. But, you know, I, I try to ask myself, one of the driving questions for me is how does this move me forward? So, you know, how, do, how does me having my checking this email move me forward right now in what I'm doing with my son or with my wife, or if I'm trying to do one of my hobbies or, or learn a new skill, it, it doesn't. Um, so that's, that really is a driving question for a lot of the things that I, I do now. Well, you've just helped me a great deal. I feel like I've been in therapy with you. <laughs> the, bill, the bills in the mail, Hacky. <laughs> helping me a lot. Um, Sean, it's so great to see you all the time. Is there anything you'd like to talk about that we have not covered? Sure. One, one thing, uh, well, actually, there's there two things. Um, there was a, a new grant that was awarded to uh, the folks at UConn, um, which is just, it's amazing. Uh, so the, the project uh, that was submitted, the title of it is Encouraging the Participation of Neurodiverse Students in STEM Graduate Programs to radically enhance the creativity of the professional workforce. And so this was uh, uh, two, two grants uh, total, I think is just under a million dollars. Um, so, and this is also by, uh, 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 I can't remember his last name, Dr. Rash that you'd interview um, earlier and uh, a colleague of his, a PhD student. So that's very exciting. Um, and I'm gonna be on the advisory board for that as well. So that's, that's also really neat. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Hacky, was, you know, we, we talked about the executive function piece uh, and how that's that's a challenge. And so um, I'd been working with a, a client of mine and, um, you know, and the parents, <laughs> uh, you know, subtly complained about the kid having a hard time cleaning the room. And um, I met some people in the virtual reality space and I came up with an idea of creating a virtual reality experience to teach kids how to clean their rooms. And because this is something I struggled with personally, you know, I can remember my parents saying, you know, asking me to go clean your room. I would go to my room, I wouldn't know where to start. And then I would open my desk drawer and there was just, you know, pencil shavings and all this stuff. And so I would spend an hour cleaning that part of my, my room, my desk. And my parents would come in really frustrated and say, what the heck, you know, we have, you've been in here for an hour, we asked you to clean your room, you haven't picked anything up. And I would say, but look, this is, they're like, we don't care about your pens and your pencils. Look at all the stuff that's all over your floor, right? So for me, I, I kind of came up with the idea of creating an experience that although would be for um, you know, neurodivergent people, this is something like, much like Siri, right? Like a, a lot of technology is actually uh, disability driven, 
society just takes it for granted when it becomes mainstream. And so I, I really strongly feel that this is going to be one of those things where, um, you know, more people who are not neurodivergent will also be using this um, to teach them how, how to efficiently clean their rooms. And so it'll give you an idea of, you know, where to start and it'll let you know when you're done and it'll be a step-by-step -step process. That's great. Well, you know, what you just said, step-by-step, I have a chapter in the Aspertools book about chunking. In other yeah. words, if you tell someone with ADHD or autism or whatever label you want, or tell Hacky, whatever I am, if you say, clean your room, I'll walk around in circles and get nothing done. If you chunk it out and say, make the bed and then come and get me, okay? And yeah. then like you say, you do in your life, you make lists of everything to do. Those are the tools and the attitude toward it instead of just, oh, you're stupid. You can't clean your room. What have you been doing in there? Absolutely. Yeah. And so it'll, it'll, you know, they'll learn how to do this in, in virtual reality, but then it will become a transferable skill where they'll actually be able to apply this into their, their real life. Uh, and so this will hopefully be uh, uh, one of many uh, life skill uh, virtual reality experiences that, um, will develop and I'll be crowdfunding for it later. Um, but one thing, you know, as you're talking that I wanted to mention to you is that um, something that, um, you know, I had a realization uh, a few weeks ago working with someone, uh, you know, you said chunking. Um, and so in chunking, I try to um, put things in batches of two because when you add that third thing, so when you ask a kid to do three things, they'll likely, they'll get jumbled up and they'll forget. But if you give them two things, they'll remember that. And then you can have them back and do two more things. But when you introduce that third, that that's when things start to cycle and, and go sideways. But when you can keep things two at a time or then work on that into multiples of two, um, things go much smoother. So again, it's not trying to get kids to fit into our world to give them that long list of things to do, but us fitting into their world and recognizing that if we give them two things at a time, and they're going to be more likely to to complete what it is we're asking them to do and then to come back well sean smith always a pleasure to hang out with you thanks for teaching us so much with don't this my ability uh adhd is here and you're tackling it head on thanks for all you do oh thanks for having me hacky i appreciate it Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.